This week on A Lively Experiment, the new General Assembly session is just weeks away. What will the top issues be in 2023? And the saga surrounding a homeless encampment in front of the State House drags on for another week. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazenwhite, Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, Maureen Moakley, retired political science professor at the University of Rhode Island. Ian Donis, political reporter for the Publix Radio and corporate communications consultant and former television news anchor, Dave Lehman. Hello and welcome to Lively. I'm Jim Hummel and it's great to have you with us this week. For a third year, Rhode Island is flush with money, but many times having a surplus is more challenging than deficits where the answer often is no to those requesting funding. House Speaker Joe Sicarci is already looking ahead. Earlier this week, he first sat down with the Providence Journal, and then Ian, you had a little one-on-one -on -one with him as well. What, what did you take away as he's looking toward the 2023 session? Yeah, Speaker Shikarchi is characteristically loath to be very specific about priorities and commitments, even with a very promising estimated $610 million surplus. You know, he says there's still the May revenue estimating conference and how the budget outlook could change by then. A lot of people think there could be a worsening of economic factors nationally. But the one concrete commitment that he made was that some money should go, more money should go into the rainy day fund. That's not really a radical or bold step. Uh, you know, that fund had been depleted during the COVID period. Uh, but, you know, I think some of his other messages uh, is that the House will offer oversight on the allocation earlier of $250 million on housing money. He's expressed interest in trying to build up the bioscience industry in Rhode Island. Uh, you know, we see how the House is offering some oversight on the schools issue. But, you know, Shikarchi is wary of getting overextended. He's sensitive to how factors can change in, you know, by the time the House is parsing Governor McKee's budget proposal. And I'm sure he wants to hear from his membership on what their priorities are also. Yeah. Dave? Yeah. Uh, I spoke with an insider up there who wished not to be identified and echoed some of what you, you just said. Um, but a couple of things that, that uh, have not, I think, been reported is that uh, this whole issue of the Bill of Rights, Police Officer Bill of Rights, this individual told me that uh, it's going to get it's going to get some gas this year. Uh, that uh, it's going to be there's probably going to be a, a measured approach to it because I wondered if it might be a wholesale revision of it. And my source says uh, it won't be that probably, but it it is going to be modified. He believes that this is going to they happen. They had a whole this study year. commission on that. The, the right. one wild card is Anastasia Williams, who got defeated, was really kind of the force behind that. So I know there are other people to pick up the ball, but that's something to keep an eye on. Yeah. What else did you hear? Uh, also said, uh, uh, you know, the cabinet uh, will be easily approved, uh, which is not a big surprise, I don't think. Uh, they're also uh, going to hold the governor to uh, account on the money that was uh, that is out, was allocated last year to be sure that that gets spent properly. Uh, also, uh, I was told that they're... Uh, they're uh, 
pleased with, with the finances, as uh, Ian was just talking about. But they point out that, um, you know, $610 million uh, is, it seems like a lot of money to all of us. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's got to be properly parsed, which you'd expect them to say. But uh, they said the, um, uh, they're going to they're gonna hold the governor to, uh, to, to pay the money that he's supposed to allocate it and be sure it doesn't get redirected right, somewhere execute. else. Yeah, I thought his, his interviews were very thoughtful. He did a longer one at the, with the Journal. And the thing that was interesting about it is he doesn't make commitments. He has to wait and see. And I think he's very, um, I think between him and Blazajewski, I mean, they, they put out programs. Housing is going to be a big thing, mm -hmm. and he's going to check on that. Mm -hmm. The oversight of the takeover is important, and they're going to get into that. And the other thing is he talked about changing zoning laws. In other words, if you want to build houses, you've mm -hmm. got to make it easier for developers and have some accountability. And the other thing I thought was interesting, when asked about a constitutional convention, Bledzajewski uh, said... Now is not the time. <laughs> now is not the time because of dark money. But he did talk about putting an amendment in the Constitution to ensure privacy, mm -hmm. not only as it comes to abortion, but other social issues, mm -hmm. so that under the web of, or, or the umbrella of privacy, a lot of these things would be protected. I think he, I think he does a good job. I think he's a good speaker. And of course, Shikarchi was noncommittal about two of the top hot button issues, guns and abortion. Advocates, as we know, are pressing for lawmakers to extend abortion, state abortion coverage to employees of the state uh, employee plan and women on Medicaid, and also the opponents of uh, guns want an, a ban on so-called assault rifles. Shikarchi said those issues will be heard, but he was noncommittal on the outcome. I also understand that uh, that they are probably going to make a big effort during this session to get abortion rights ensconced in the state constitution uh, and in order to prevent any problems with the federal government and what, what the Republicans might want to do with that, because obviously they're more conservative about it. So uh, this isn't a constitution. I don't think it's a constitutional amendment, but I'm not quite sure how that would work. But that w that's going to be a topic of discussion as well to be sure that abortion rights are preserved in, in, in the state of Rhode Island. But I think the privacy thing is a, is a, a, a nice umbrella. Yeah. Because if they put that, it'll be a public question. Mm -hmm. It'll go into the Constitution. Mm -hmm. And then that protects a range of kind of relationships gay and so forth and so on. So I think it's a thoughtful approach, and I think it has a lot of promise. You wonder in the back of their minds, Ian, how long have we talked about $250 million deficit and we never had a rainy day fund and all of that, that there, as Dave said, it can evaporate pretty quickly. So when you talk about stuff like free RIPTA buses, well, that sounds great when you're flush with money, but then that, in effect, becomes an entitlement program, doesn't it? Like CCRI. It's like you can't start giving the kids, you know, free tuition and then pull back on it. So if you did free rip the bus rides, that, in effect, gets baked into the budget. So I think, to me, they're kind of walking this, we're really worried about the out years. It seems like we're flush now. Is maybe that some of the caution that you're thinking? Absolutely. And I, uh, Shikarchi said, you know, this uh, a lot of this 
very good budget outlook right now where there are surpluses for multiple years. We haven't seen that in decades. Mm -hmm. And I think they are very cognizant of how this is a function of one-time money from the federal government. It's very easy to spend it down, mm -hmm. but you know, I think there is a wariness about funding programs that might be affordable in the short term, but that would be unaffordable in the long term without different funding sources, absolutely. You know, and last year he even talked about that. He's always been very cautious about spending. He always looked at the idea that we can't just build up entitlement programs. It's an investment, it's an investment. not an expenditure. Exactly, yeah. that's putting it very well. The other point uh, that was made was uh, that the $13 million budget, uh, billion dollar budget will probably go down to $12 billion. Uh, through As it should, because yeah. there's not, you know, I know, and I've asked that question for a long time because we were at nine point something, yeah. whatever, mm -hmm. four years ago. Mm -hmm. Then all of the kind of the the federal COVID money kind of muddied the waters a little bit. But that's a great point. And I think Governor McKee answered that in one of the debates. What's mm -hmm. the budget going to be next year? And he said 11 something. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. so it should go down, right? And, and this is, uh, will likely be the fourth year without a tax increase, uh, which of course lawmakers love to be able to brag about because uh, very often in the past, as you pointed out, we haven't had that kind of money. And so we end up but it's, been all fee it's all nickel and diming on fees. Yeah, it is. Right? That's true, yeah. Double the Scarborough and, right. and all of that. Um, anything else you're going to be looking for in the session? Um, what I'm going to be looking for, I'm concerned about how they're going to handle um, the gun issue. Mm. In other words, I don't, I mean, I think Jack McConnell wrote a decision that was to me eloquent and comprehensive and thoughtful. And there were three things that he talked about. He talked Second Amendment, he talked about taking, and he talked about um, irreparable harm. Those were the three, the plaintiffs, that was what they were talking about. And the fact is that he answered each one beautifully, I thought, in the sense was that- Was he writing to s survive the appeal? <laughs> well, it could have been. You're writing for the higher court a yeah, lot of right, times, right? Yeah, right, it was, it was, it seems to me, I read an extensive part about it. And as far as the takings, he said, you know, this is in the public interest, and this is a minor, you know, thing that you have to, you know, you're not going to get your money back on these things. And he talked about the Second Amendment. He said these are instruments of mass slaughter. They don't fit into the Second Amendment category. It's, you know, it's, you're not, you not, don't have these in your home to protect yourself. These are weapons that people use and go out and kill people. And he also said, you know, it could happen here. And I thought it was very thoughtful. And in terms of irreparable harm, he just dismissed that. Mm -hmm. I mean, they can't have magazines. That's not irreparable harm. Right. So I thought it was a really good decision. And it was very direct. Yeah. I mean, he, he, right. it was really people talk. Yeah, it was, really, it was really good. And the thing is, I think that's going to influence efforts in terms of um, pushback from the gun people. You also wonder, though, with it all depends on how much money you want to spend, right? You want to spend money to go to the appeals court, which may be a little bit more liberal than getting to the Supreme Court. Do they see a path where at the Supreme Court, which has changed now, maybe they might have a little bit better luck in terms of sustaining a, an appeal? I don't know. I wouldn't be. But that's a long way off. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if gun interests do support an appeal. Uh, the gun lobby is very well funded. Yeah. They don't like these kinds of restrictions on what they p perceive as. Because it's a chipping away. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, you, I, you know, I, I'm not sure that that's really right, though, uh, that, that they're well-funded. They were... Well, Wayne LaPierre ran into a little uh, bit of an yeah, issue. A little, well, a little bankruptcy issue, yeah. almost. Uh, so, 
but they they have other allies uh, mm -hmm. individually. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of dark money as well that that will right. uh, help them. But uh, but you know the uh, the main lobby there has had some real problems the last uh, few years, as you mentioned. Yeah, but I think apart from the NRA nationally, I do think there are a lot of they could probably raise money. Oh yeah. I, I mean easily. All you have mm -hmm. to do is you've been at the state house for those mm -hmm. you know Second Amendment rallies and. I'm sure a lot of people would put up money to be able to do that. So that's one thing we'll keep a track on. Maureen, it's been very interesting from a political standpoint. We certainly feel for the people, the homeless people who are, they're trying to deal with. It seems worse this year. And, and, and the, the irony is with all this money sloshing around, but the governor is finding that money doesn't always solve the problem, mm -hmm. right? Because you have to have services and all of that. What, what is, as you look at this from standing back, how do you think about how this has played out? Well, I think that, you know, there's a huge crisis, and I think that people are recognizing that that was high on Sakarchi's agenda. Mm -hmm. And I think in terms of the immediate problem that we have with the people on the State House, I mean, um, first of all, it was a, I don't know the inside story, but it was a huge blunder for him to go ahead and create these ev eviction notices tied to fines and the people who are going to be removed without Peter Nerona. Mm. I mean, I, you know, he's our lawyer. He's mm. the lawyer for the governor. And the fact that he didn't, he didn't, he didn't engage participate him, in he didn't participate and in And then Nerona really said, big. I don't want any part of this. I don't want any you part go of argue yeah. this on your own. Yeah. And the thing is, that's, so it was a real blunder in, in terms mm. of trying to get, this is a very touchy constitutional issue. And the fact that it wasn't more thought out, mm. I was really surprised that the administration went about it this way. That said, um, in terms of the immediate situation, uh, we'll have to see what the judge says. I think they're going to have another hearing. We're taping uh, on a Friday. Yeah. They're going to be in court later They're going to today. be in court later right. on. But, <clears throat> you know, the governor has then called out the National Guard. They're getting these things up and running. It's a delay, but I think it's a necessary thing. And the other thing, and here I'm like the Grinch here. I'm going to be the Grinch. I think the tents should be removed. Mm -hmm. I think they're a health hazard. I really do. And, um, you know, it's, I'm part of the people. You know, it's my state house. Mm -hmm. And I was up there for something and stepping over wires and, and the people there. I think it's time they've offered everyone a, a place, mm -hmm. those people that are there. And they don't want to go because they can't bring their pets or something like that. I mean, I think the governor handled this badly, but I think in the end, it's time to get beyond this. Can but, they not argue public safety? I mean, are lawyers yeah. saying that, you know, we have people defecating and there's needles and whatever else. Yeah. Does that, does free speech trump that? I don't know. And that's why lawyers are hired. To think on that on out, both right? sides. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah. I, I think, I, I kind of agree with you on this. I haven't really thought that out on my own, but... I think there's a lot of truth to that. It also is a is an awful statement to other people who come here and go to the state house. People from other, not just our own people, but people coming from out of state. It just looks terrible. It pulls us down, and and but yet at the same time, I do understand these people. You know, this homeless problem is not. But new. that's how you get the government's attention because you have to walk through it every day. Mm -hmm. What's yeah. striking here is that you know Providence and Rhode Island are not unique in having a worsening situation with homelessness. Mm -hmm. This seems to be the kind of canary in the coal mine of a range of housing issues. It's the extreme end, people who don't have a place to live on their own. And it is a difficult situation to deal with. Some of these people are hard luck 
cases. Some of them might have mental health issues. Some of them might have substance abuse issues. And there are competing interests in terms of the right to protest versus not wanting to see anyone be damaged uh, or hurt due to, due to the cold weather. But, you know, hopefully there, there will be a resolution moving forward. Well, and the fact that, uh, that they are talking uh, is, I think, the, uh, it may be your, in your conversation with uh, Shikarchi, uh, they were talking about really dealing with this head on because it really has hit a point where you can't you can't ignore it, and that's the, you mm -hmm. know that's why people demonstrate up mm -hmm. there. But you know what other people aren't really I think focused on right now. This is going to get worse while we're going through the next uh, couple of years with a p potential recession or light or medium or a hard recession. And rents aren't coming down. Oh no! I mean th th this is a this is a actually it's kind of a perfect storm to finally get mm -hmm. this uh, attention directed at homelessness because. It, it is a problem, and uh, if they don't deal with it, uh, I think that affects crime, that affects other parts of the of our environment here that can't stand this any more of this sort of thing. Providence already has a serious crime problem, uh, which uh, the new mayor is going to have to tackle as well. So I think, uh, you know, I think there's something to be said about, all right, you've made your point, you've been up there for a couple of months with, your, with all of your tents and, and so forth. I think you can make an argument about public safety. But you also think about them staying outside last night, 50-knot yeah. winds, and it's not as yeah. cold, but there's water and rain, and then yeah. it's going to be bitterly yeah. cold next mm -hmm. week. We had Angel DeVaris on last week, and he mm -hmm. reminded me, I totally forgot about this, Occupy Providence, mm -hmm. and how they brokered the deal at the end. Now, the weather worked in their favor, but he said, you never want to have cameras there with people being dragged out, and that's mm -hmm. just, no. it's, a, it's a bad look. But, Ian, you said around the country, I mean, imagine the new mayor of, of Los Angeles. They have 100 thousand people on the street and it's a place where you can camp out pretty much year round. So and I, I, think, I think the weather solves some of the problem here, but not I, all of it. Yeah, and I don't mean to suggest there's an easy solution, but it's not exactly news that winter poses more challenges for unhoused people. It would have been nice if the state had could have gotten a little more in front of this issue because this is becoming an annual thing, but at the same time, it's a difficult issue. Yeah, mm -hmm. well, we'll see. Providence schools continue to be banned. How long have we been talking about Providence schools? <laughs> oh, wow. Um, you know, just a botched rollout. I, I joked when we were talking off camera, Dave, they could have used some media advice on how to roll out this school closure, mm -hmm. but it speaks to me about where is the state, where are the schools, who, you know, Providence controls the building, but they were waiting for the superintendent to come out, uh, recover from knee surgery before they announced it. Hello, social media, people tweet, it gets out. You know, it's not like the old news cycle that you had to wait for the paper to come out. So I wonder as you look at this, and it begs the question, is the takeover, I don't know whether we, that's another whole other show, but mm -hmm. what do you do here? Nobody seems to be talking to each other. I think the worst thing you want to do is uh, damage, further damage the relationships uh, between the state and, and the city, because at some point, you know, the city is going to take back control, I would assume, but all of these create barriers to a solution. If mm -hmm. you're looking for solutions, this is not the way to go. There should have been a little bit of a kumbaya moment on this, where you say, look, we got problems here. But this is what we've got to do. And for the folks who haven't followed this very carefully, uh, there was a leak about what the, uh, what the city or what, what the state was going to do. They were going to close two schools, and a, a third one is going to be trans uh, eventually in the next year or two is going to be closed as well. Once you start dealing with neighborhood schools, 
Boy, yeah. let me tell you, you're going to get a lot of enemies uh, really fast. And, and cooler mines needed to be uh, in operation here, and they didn't. They should, they should have come out and said, look, here's what we got to do. We're going to do it. We're sharing it with you, and we're going to get some community input before we do it. I covered the House oversight meeting on Thursday night where this issue was vetted, and there were two very different stories. Uh, State Education Commissioner Angelica Infante-Green was saying, you know, there's a good news story to tell, but she said despite uh, COVID, there is improvement happening in the schools, and there is money now, thanks to the approval of a construction bond in Providence, that outdated <laughs> schools are going to be replaced with, with newer and improved schools, and that there's a need for fewer schools due to declining enrollment, not just in Providence, but everywhere. But there were some lawmakers, including oversight chairwoman Patricia Serpa, who were very critical of how this information about the two, two school closing mm-hmm. uh, closings leaked out. And she said it was handled poorly. And one of Infante Green's uh, deputies, you know, reluctantly admitted under pressure that it could have, uh, you know, they were sorry about it and expressed a degree of contrition. So, you know, hopefully this will be put in the rearview mirror and the focus can return to trying to improve the educational quality. It would have gone a long way. It drives me nuts. The housing secretary did this to try to answer a yes-no question, and they dodge. And Halleck Fonte Green's a smart woman, but it would have helped her a lot if Pat Serpa said, can we agree that this was poorly rolled out? And she said, yes. Mm-hmm. And move on. And then the issue becomes, we could have done better. Right. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I just want to introduce another idea in terms of this. I think the process, as they laid it out initially, was a good one. The worst thing you have to do in this situation, Mm -hmm. the people that are going to be against it are the unions Mm -hmm. and the parents. It's a nightmare, Mm -hmm. as you said. Mm -hmm. So what they did was they decided among themselves exactly what schools are going to be closed. And then the idea was they would then talk to the teachers and the parents before going public. And I think that was a good strategy. I I, I don't agree. Okay. No, but the thing is, I, you, you, I think that if you started in, engaging the teachers and the parents before, mm-hmm. I don't think, I mean, I think they were right to say these are the schools we're going to close. Mm-hmm. Well, but so I think it was this, interesting to note how the Providence Teachers Union, which let the cat out of the mm-hmm. bag about the closings, evaded any criticism during this oversight hearing. Right. And Infante Green said the reason why they were holding off on sharing the information was they wanted Providence School Superintendent Javier Montanez to be the one leading the process. He's been away from work while recovering from knee surgery. And then the Providence Teachers Union put out the information but in But in this tweet. day of social media, I mean, so that's your point, right? That, that, my, my point is are no secrets in Rhode Island, okay? <laughs> well, when, when you're dealing with, with a teacher's union that is already hostile to the state, uh, you're going to have parents who are going to be upset that their school is going to be closed. Even if they hear there's a new or better yeah. one on the horizon. Exactly. Yeah, right. It's, it's exactly. our school. Yeah, that, what I was disagreeing with you is that I, I think because uh, we're a sieve, you can't keep a secret here, mm-hmm. especially when you bring in some of the principles that we've talked about. <laughs> These people uh, deal in, in the gossip and all of that. Now, listen, uh, you know, they're human beings. But you got to factor that into your communications program because nothing's going to stay, stay a secret for more than probably eight minutes. They uh, could have sat down with any one of us and said, all right, let's, what are the potential problems here when we tell more than three people about this, right. about what's going mm-hmm. on? Mm-hmm. What and I think it was a, and I think it was unfortunate. This is a really big deal. Yes. And, and the thing is, 
that the superintendent was getting his knee fixed. I mean, they should have been prepared for this and, you know, get someone else to do it. I mean, we didn't, we dropped the ball because this guy had a knee surgery. In, the, in, the, in terms of an issue like this, I think it's pretty lame. Yeah, and then and the I commissioner was upset that the union, I'm very disappointed, whatever. Well, yeah. welcome to the real world, yeah, right? right? Of course it's going to get out. Mm -hmm. So what, I mean, the larger issue about Providence schools and the takeover and everything else, I mean, I understand they had kind of a pandemic mulligan, but there's, there's a growing, I don't know what the alternative, send it back to Providence, which didn't do a great job to begin with. But do you sense any of that? Or is it like, okay, let's give the state a little bit more time? Yeah, Infante Green had an almost hour-long presentation with a PowerPoint eliciting how improvement is being measured and made in a variety of ways. Uh, you know, whether independent analysts would agree with that, uh, you know, remains to be seen. But I think there are some signs of improvement. And uh, Governor McKee, education has been a big issue for him. He did uh, sign off on a contract agreement with the PTU that seemed far short of the transformational contract that was cited as a glaring need by Johns Hopkins. But now that McKee has a full term in his own right, I would expect he will focus more on education. Mm -hmm. All right. And Let's I think the legislature, I mean, Sikarchi indicated, I think they support this. Mm. I mean, I think they're still in on, on the takeover. Okay. Let's get to uh, outrages and or kudos. Oh Mr. Gosh. Lehman, let's, I know, here we are. Let's begin with you yeah. this week. Uh, probably uh, we've just talked about my outrage, which is the way that this whole thing was handled. So I'll uh, make more time for everybody else since uh, we've already talked about my, uh, my outrage. Dave, you usually come three deep. I'm really oh, so yeah. Dave, you're yeah. losing yeah. your fastball. Yeah. 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 Dave is like, well, let me take number eight. Uh, yeah. Ian, what do you have? As a Red Sox fan, it's really easy to be outraged about everything with the Red Sox, but I'm going to go in a different direction. Uh, Elon Musk's management of Twitter is coming under greater scrutiny. On Thursday, there were a number of reporters who've reported on Musk and his ownership or management of Twitter who have been blocked and excised from Twitter. That is a stark contrast from people who describe Musk as a champion of free speech. So I think that is a situation that bears close scrutiny. Well, and to elaborate on that, so I read that the Washington Post, you know, we're all covering it because mm -hmm. the, they, mm -hmm. some of their reporters are involved, that he said, well, you disclosed where I was. And that's mm -hmm. a threat to my safety, whether that's a free speech argument or not. And then the Post, it almost sounds like the rerun of four years of Trump. We found no evidence that that was the case. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, so the free speech aspect is disturbing, but a lot of people use Twitter, as you know, we all use it for informational purposes, and it seems to run antithetical. He seems to have very thin skin, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, and there was a young guy who had a Twitter that called, like, uh, Elon's Jet, who, like, you know, right, tracked right. Musk's travel, and I can understand some level of concern about the revelation of that kind of information, even if it might be legally protected, but the people who've been knocked off Twitter by Musk's management are reporters who are doing legitimate journalism, and that is a serious concern. I, th I agree. I think that's a serious concern. Mm -hmm. I think we have to think about that. You get the last okay, minute. I get the last. Oh, okay. My <laughs> outrage or really deep concern is about the discovery of a Russian spy network in New Hampshire, mm -hmm. and that this, um, they were actually Russian spies, and they were living in New Hampshire, and they were receiving bullets and they were receiving digital equipment and, uh, you know, chips and sending them off to Estonia. And then it was going to the Russians. And I mean, it's really scary because the thing is that they had been operating with impunity for a couple of years. They were finally tracked down. They say they don't know how many more of these networks exist. 
but it's you know it's frightening to think about this you know the subterfuge in terms of internally and also it's saddening because you know the war in Ukraine and the Russians have lost for a brain drain they've lost a lot of people and they're dependent on this and Ukraine is caught in the middle and it's really tragic. All right, thank you folks. That is all the time we have for this week's special programming note. This same panel is gonna be here next week for one of my favorite shows of the year. We do the year ender where we take a look at the top stories of the year, the only in Rhode Island moments and a whole lot more. So do not miss that. Ian, Dave and Maureen, thank you. We will see you next week and we hope to see you next week as a lively experiment continues. Have a great week. experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS.